Pole position, mate. Pole position. Let's fucking go! Yes! Yes! Oh my god! All the time you have to leave a place. The tire the car. No, no, Mike. That was so not right. It's the drink. Is it on now? You will not have the drink. For anyone who thought I left, I never left. Folks, we've got a treat for you today. Today's episode will surely be a crowd pleaser. You know, we've heard your comments, we've listened to your criticism, and we will not shy away from it. Nay, we will face it. Take it seriously and be better because of it. Corey and I fully understand that though it is not our intention, we can sometimes come across as so intellectual and well-informed that it can be intimidating. You know, I've had fans come up to me in the streets, in the streets, and say, listen, the pod is great, but you're far too analytical. I can't keep up. Well, folks, today, we're dumbing it down. We're going back to our roots. We're writing our own beginner's guide to F1 to help all the drive to survive morons out there. And to help us out, to ask all the questions you buffoons need answers to, We've got our very own F1 village idiot in the studio. Please welcome to the podcast a man with more nicknames than a professional hockey player, the guy with the biggest biceps relative to his body weight in the town of Richmond at this very moment, the top diplomat in town, the latest full-time employee in the Boward market, and everyone's favorite Aussie, Connor Ray. Welcome to the pod, Connor. Thank you very much. What a great intro. I, I didn't appreciate condone it. the use of the word moron. That's you know what? I, I, I thought it was overwhelmingly accurate. So <laughs> it, was, it was a I'll very intellectual it. intro. Yes. I, I'm very regularly intimidated by both of your intelligence. Can I ask you a question? No, sorry. Why are you not doing the accent? <laughs> that, that was the... Oh, no. Why is he doing the accent? He's doing a Canadian I'm accent I'm putting this right on now. right now. Yeah. 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 Why am I... <laughs> Let's also we got to run down the uh, the amount of nicknames that this guy FTC. Has. So welcome back. By the way, this is season two, is it not? Or yeah, we, yeah, we, we can call it season well. two. Whatever. We're playing it pretty fast and loose with like how we categorize this anyway. <laughs> Starting off with an absolute bang. Um, so Corey Price, you know, yeah, is here in the studio. Uh, Callum Fraser, and we've got our friend Connor Ray, who we work at at an undisclosed location for an undisclosed company. Um, we should say we're actually bringing this to you from the uh, Giant Dragon Palace-sponsored ping-pong studios. <laughs> <laughs> so, Connor, you have a lot of nicknames. I do, yeah, yeah. Um, let's run through them. So, uh, one of my favorites. Wait, wait, before we get into this, All right, I, didn't, I didn't come up with any of these nicknames. No, but that's a nickname, right? It's like, exactly. It's like I'm just like, you're calling I, yourself I don't want people to think about how, like, I don't want people to think that I came up with these just to, like, gas myself up. Before you run through these, <laughs> it's funny. We, we, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to label this guy as like like a meat. Like he's huge. He's a, a meathead. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, super confident and like the biggest five six you've ever seen this, in your life. This exactly. Guy, this guy's never started a conversation in his life. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. People approach him and, and he goes, "Yeah." Con- <laughs> for the first month and a half of his tenure at our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only words Connor ever said to me were, have a great day. <laughs> that's Which probably I mean, true, hey, yeah. That's a, that's, of all the first impressions that you can yeah. make in a workplace, have a great day is not bad. See you tomorrow, guys. Have a great day. Yeah, easy. Uh, so we got, I mean. Turns out there was a whole personality in there. Actually, you know what we'll, we'll do? We'll play a game here, uh, Corey and I. Okay. Uh, 
we go back and forth with the like it have to it has to have been said at least like one or two times yeah. like a nickname for him. So yeah. I'll start off. I can only think of a few, so you'll probably beat me. Okay, well I'll start off with Razor. Yeah, FTC. FTC for sure. That's yeah. a good one. Um, I'm gonna go. This is a little bit off the board, but I think it counts. Yeah, Conor Ray. I like, was gonna it's say just that. Saying yeah, his yeah, yeah. name, but in an Australian accent. No, I think that counts 100. percent And the problem is, those were the three that I knew. So, <laughs> I mean, because I don't think just saying that she's got huge buys is a nickname. Okay. In the purest sense of nickname. I mean, okay, I also called him uh, Cray Cray. I haven't heard that one. I've yeah. Heard that. yeah, can I've you heard confirm? That. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. C Ray Cray. Yeah, C Ray, C Ray as well. Um, like Stingray, you know. I think we call him Stingray a couple times. I've heard that for sure. Sure. Um. Uh. Oh, <laughs> big hog. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> How could we forget? Yes. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, we, the Joe you, Rogan of the Byward Market. I forget who. Well, why do I get that? Just because. Oh my god, that's like, so funny. You're such a great presence on the mic, and, and you're just huge. And you love Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. You know what? Now that you say that, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, before you guys got here, uh, I was just like flicking through Instagram. Yeah. And I saw a video of Andrew Tate saying, um, "I will only ever give CPR to a beautiful woman. If you're a fat guy, like you're going to die." <laughs> If you're an old fat guy, you're going to die. I feel like like that's inventing new problematic things to say. Like no one had ever even considered gatekeeping CPR purely to purely to hot people. Um, Okay, any any more? Any more? Um, I don't think so. I think. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Well, hold on. Can can you can you add any more? Do we have? I'm trying to think. I I think we've gone through all of them. I yeah, I think so. C Ray Ryan calls you like. Uh, like, like big the big lad or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not just big hog. <laughs> that that was I think I mean. the first one. That was the first one. Yeah, I think. It was. yeah. It was. It, it yeah. is. It is a bold choice for us to have been like, hey, this guy doesn't really talk to us a lot. I know it'll get him to open up. <laughs> what if we started calling him Big Hog? <laughs> well, um, well, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when uh, I don't know who was over at the time, but we we're having a, a gathering at my place. Yeah, and uh, there were people here, and I'm not going to say who said it. But Connor walks in and someone starts chanting "Big Hog, Big Hog, Big Hog." <laughs> how does that how make you feel? How does that make me feel? How did that make you feel that it was also a woman who started? Chanting? I was fine. Oh, yeah. I don't feel any particular way about it. You know, it's like... that's weird. You you probably should. Uh, um, yeah. My personal favorite of these is just the Aussie one. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's it comes nothing. up the most, it, I think. It came from nowhere. Yeah. Like. We, I don't know what I had listened to or if there was, like, a report from an Australian, um, like, a journalist or something yeah. like that. But I, I just started saying shit one morning in an Australian accent. And then I went around the room and I was like... Corey Price and I'm like ah, that doesn't sound like very good Callum Fraser no not really that was okay that was pretty good yeah. Connor Wright and then everyone <laughs> went oh my god we found it found it um, and I will say this has gotten to such an extent that uh, Australian friend of the show Dominic yeah recorded a clip of him in real Aussie form yeah yeah talking about Connor Ray in his in his gigantic buys <laughs> uh, and then I just walked up to him at work and just put a phone in his face and just played the clip oh my god like, unprompted just to see glad to know i'm reaching my desired market yeah in australia, exactly. yeah, in australia. <laughs> so welcome to the pod connor thank you very uh, thank you for having me we, so i don't know exactly that whole nickname preamble you just called him connor after all that just connor. Yeah. uh well uh, welcome big hog <laughs> <laughs> Gr- greetings <laughs> 
Greetings, large pork. <laughs> large pork. Oh, no, large. I don't like, that's the worst I've heard so far. Yo, that, that's not cool. It's not <laughs> great. Um, Frankly, I feel bad about it. So I don't know exactly. I, I don't know exactly what we're doing this episode, but I have like. Does the did the intro make sense? Yeah, did yeah, that yeah. kind of make a because you told me that you have like some questions, some, some unanswered questions like, for Corey and I. I because my my F one backstory yeah. is I watched Drive to Survive yeah as quickly as possible so I could be ready for the last season of F one to start. Right, so I hadn't seen like anything. The latest season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Didn't like didn't know. Couldn't name a driver. Couldn't name a team. Not even a little bit. So you've seen a car before. How many seasons did you crush then? I crushed every season that was available. Yeah, but like four, five, four I guess. Four. But I, I watched them. Right. So four. I watched them ahead of the season starting, and my roommate did the same thing with me because we really wanted to get into it. So uh, then after like destroying the show, uh, I just started watching it. I, I don't. I think I missed maybe a couple qualifying sessions last season, but I saw every race, and I was just trying to get into as much as possible and listening to the commentators and other f1 like personalities i was being regularly frustrated with certain things and like found myself confused over and over because i was like trying to pick up as as much as i could as quickly as possible terminology terminology and you well i'll get to it i got questions ready because interesting interesting because just so i I can i was finding that i was losing enjoyment because i was like lost you know what i mean like so the whole village idiot thing really was accurate it felt like a test some yeah yeah i do feel like it's an interesting situation to have where the Netflix show is such a great introduction, but there's not very much effective onboarding. You're right, yeah. Like, during a race, like, they might be like, DRS does this or whatever, but if you were sitting and watching something and somebody just goes, oh, I think he's going for the undercut here, mm. and then they didn't elaborate. I thought you were talking about his haircut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can't elaborate every race, every time, every piece of strategy comes up. I get it. But if you just heard of that for the first time and nobody told you what that meant, you'd be like... So we so barber shop later like yeah, what you, yeah. I, don't... I, I felt like one of the 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 more and I I was totally I was totally fine with them saying hey here's why the tires are colored differently here's how you get pole positioned here's what like in the first season sure yeah but it was weird that they didn't elaborate on the more like technical like intricate details of the sport yeah. and they kept going back to here's how Q two works. Here's how Q3 works, right? Here's how grid penalties work. It's like, dude, we've already been over that. It's been four seasons. You got to explain more of like the nuances to the sport. So I totally get where you're coming from there. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we might as well start. Okay. I broke this down into some categories. General knowledge. This is the most preparation anyone's ever done for this show. Should we go back and forth? Like, sure. Okay. We'll start with Corey. And then if you don't have an answer, just like. I'm sure I can figure most of it out, I think. <clears throat> so we all know. F1. Some cars are faster. Some cars are slower. Question number one. Why don't the slower cars drive faster? <laughs> so it's, it's, I, I knew we were getting played. So it's, it's, funny that you, it's funny that you say that. The reason is, and a lot of people don't know this, the cars, they don't fuel them during the race. And part of why is they don't run on traditional fuels. They do run on money. So... <laughs> that's, yeah, that's Those true. slower teams just physically cannot afford to go any faster. So... Latifi's going to be going around at a leisurely pace. Not anymore. Would Not have been. <laughs> in our experience, he has. Uh, because he simply can't do anything else about it. The team's just incapable of pumping gold into that into that car. So uh, that is why. 
All right, what's your next bullshit you know, wait, question? Wait, look, that, fucking liar. That was, that was my biggest uh, joke <laughs> question. That was my biggest. But that was, and you got a joke answer. That was a good That was a good answer, actually. And with Williams, I actually have a genuine question about them because yeah. aren't they a historical team? Yes. They've been around forever. Why don't they have money? So the main reason they don't have money is that up until 2020, is, when, is that when Doralton Capital bought them? So they were a family-owned and run team. Like Frank Williams and his mm-hmm. family owned the team Whereas, like, Ferrari is owned by one of the biggest sports car manufacturers yeah. in the world. So it was simply just a question of as the sport scaled and as other OEMs and other companies and other racing teams got involved, there was a point where those are higher profile, so sponsorships might be more likely to go to them. And then as Williams' success waned into, like, well, the 90s were obviously great, but, like, into the 2000s and into, like, those more recent eras like if you're going slower and you're already behind on funding like you're less likely to get sponsors which puts you behind on funding and then if you don't have that you're gonna get slower on track which puts you behind on sponsors which puts wow. you behind on funding That's so sad. they just sort of slowly dug a hole through relative lack of success and a desire to stick to being the family owned and run team because like frank williams owned the team claire williams ran the team like it was a purely in-house operation until it became abundantly clear that it that was just completely untenable. Um, I think it's still, especially the past like 10 years, it's been very difficult to be just simply a traditional race car manufacturer, right? Like Red Bull's got the whole um, extreme sports thing that they can uh, take money from. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the, obviously the energy drink and like the car looks friggin' unreal. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes has a, a once in a lifetime, uh, uh, um, le- leader. Talent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in Lewis Hamilton, that does a bunch of different things, right? Um, you've got like, it, it seems like, um, it, it seems like nearly every good team has a lot of different ways to, to fundraise for their their car right and williams to me like the marketing isn't there they've never had like a like martini was their great was their their top sponsor for a few years but that that, like there was no identity there right so it's just like i think they've just tried to been a to be like a mom and pop shop for for way too long and the money just like fizzled out and then it was kind of like a, a like a like the the perfect storm for them to nearly be kicked out of the sport. And now they've got it. It'll take years and years for them to climb the all the way back up. But like F1 is so it's, it's so there's like, there's so many moving parts in it nowadays. It's not just like two drivers, two good cars and hopefully yeah. a good it's, strategy. It's not hop up to the, to the track for the weekend. And we've got like 10 dudes who are yeah. going to run the cars and yeah. like whatever. And also I mean, dri- drivers, they joke about nowadays how like, they feel like they're media personnel who like moonlight as race car drivers, right? Like so much of it is not actually just on the track anymore. Yeah. Well, and part of this is where like the cost cap comes in now too, is like the disparity between what teams were able to spend based on where their funding came from was so significant. And it made such a difference on track that the governing body had to be like, uh, well, this isn't good. So good or fair. Yeah. I mean, I guess fairness is relative, but it wasn't good. Um, so that's their biggest issue. And that's why when you see 
a performance out of them and like one of their cars it's purely just because like the driver did something crazy like in the last several years if a good thing came out of a williams it was just like how the fuck <laughs> p9 what <laughs> are you out of your mind <laughs> like memories of like lance stroll on the podium in a williams feel no 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 yes that was him yeah but, like that feels well, uh, yeah so far away and it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things but like you would need you would need some absolute carnage to I, facilitate something. Is like that. Lance Stroll the most? Uh, what's the word? Is he the most? Um, like, is he the is he the best Williams driver of the past like oh thirteen God. years? Valtteri. I, but like, f- relatively speaking to the car, because when Valtteri was in it, it was like getting pole positions. Like Lance, Lance relative to the car, yeah, La- maybe Lance's performance in. Baku. Uh, Baku, and then like a couple weeks later in Italy, I mean, he wasn't. He was obviously like his consistency was crazy. I'm just saying, like, is he is is he the most like? Does he have the the most like accolades to his like? You could make like accomplishments yeah, to his he name. May well, yeah. Because like uh, George has one, yeah, which is the you know technically finishing second place, yeah. at Spa. Is that the one where he cried? Uh, yeah, he did. Cry. <laughs> which one? Oh yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> he did cry there. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's funny. Like they're he might be their past decade has just been, and my, that's a tough thing to say. It's tough to look at your team and go, our most accomplished driver the last decade yeah. is Lance. Yeah, yikes! I have a lot of opinions on Lance Stroll, to be honest. Yeah. Do you want? Uh, we can do it right now if you want. He, like he's, like I can't look at his face, like <laughs> in general, I'll just lose it. Like I can't. Oh, lose but, it, bro. <laughs> but if he, because Aston Martin, I think is like very interesting. Look for next year. Like, uh, if they have success, like, I will jump on his bandwagon. He's underrated. Despite being, like, probably the most, not, like, the most hated for any particular reason, other than just being... Daddy's boy. Daddy's boy, yeah. <laughs> but I'll jump on his bandwagon if he, if he starts doing well. He's Canadian, you know? Dude, like, I'll buy... I'll say it right now. If, if, if Lance Stroll... I need to say this to something that's unlikely but feasible. If Lance Stroll gets a podium, I'll buy Lance Stroll merch. Wow, there, that's my promise to you. I'll waste money. I'll throw money in the garbage, buying overpriced Aston Martin Lance Stroll merch. <laughs> I <clears throat> I like to label myself as like maybe the, a top five. We'll see if he gets a top five, and I don't want to do it. I'll say it was a podium. <laughs> we'll lie, but <laughs> I'd say I'm the most honest Lance Stroll fan there is because he should not be an F1, but I love him. Yeah, every once <laughs> in a while he just does something bananas it's, too. My take on him is that. He's never been mediocre. He's either get this fucking guy off the grid, like the money is ruining the sport. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be with like even a, like a lower team. Or he is so underrated. He should. We, like I would love to see what he could do in a car that actually has the capability. Put him in right? the Mercedes. It's like <laughs> yeah. Like so, you can name. I can name five races off the top of my head where he either had a podium or like finished on or like qualified on pole or like a. Uh, 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 first row of the grid, yeah, and he's never had a car that's actually capable of like yeah, fighting like at the Baku, front. Baku, Turkey, Italy twice, Bahrain, yeah. off the top of your head. Uh, like, uh, Germany, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, net no. Germany, oh, that was maybe a P four because Kvyat came in. Yeah. Anyways, but either way, but yeah, uh, but wasn't it Sakir, not Bahrain? But it, whatever. Well, it's sorry. The same. Just, My bad. Potato, potato. Yeah, it's just like the guy comes out of nowhere sometimes. Yeah, and um, sometimes he's fun. Like, he's fun to watch, but... Yeah. People forget that the race that Pierre won, the podium was Pierre, Carlos, and Lance. Like... 
Oh my god! Like, also, d- does Lance not know that there's mirrors like on his car that he can see the other drivers around him? <laughs> Listen, we're working on it, dude. He's oh my a, god. Dude, him and Fernando are going to crash, yeah. and the the preceding argument is going to be incredible. You know what? I actually think there's going to be fewer fireworks than it was with Esteban because I think that like. Lance is just not going to be able to keep up with Fernando. Oh, we'll see. Right? What if he does? So the I mean, I, I, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. What if he? I, yeah, I, I still believe in Lance, but it's he, like Akko. The, the the reason why that they like came to um, blows came to blows so consistently was because like Akko is a crazy consistent driver and like relent almost nearly as relentless as Fernando. Just doesn't have like the amount of talent that the he finish. has. Yeah. yeah, and they're both like they both have the Hamilton Verstappen mentality of like, no, you back out, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Esteban's like going to have that chip on his sort of like I lived in a trailer for years to get into <laughs> yeah, this yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. car, and I swear to God, if you try to pass me, I will end you. That's another <laughs> interesting thing. I don't know if it's you know kind of come up in one of your questions, but like, I don't think there's a sport out there in which there's like the there's such a drastic um difference between the like there's a few drivers that you know came from absolutely fucking nothing and then you have the most politically influential and richest people in the world uh that that uh you know that come into the sport like guys like um uh nikita matsapin right like the difference between esteban alco and nikita matsapin is like you, you couldn't you couldn't find like, like a, a larger disparity English fairy tale like yeah. levels of like <laughs> yeah. the prince and the in yeah. the popper like yeah. level shit my like, yeah it's like there's guys that are like my dad's a russian oligarch my dad made billions of dollars off like h&m the, money yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like, i'm trying i was trying to do a large yeah. scroll there yeah and then you've got a couple of guys not many but a couple of guys that are just like yeah, we had to find parts for my go-kart and shit. In the dumpster. Yeah. And then Latifi's like, I like chocolate and my dad has a coffee fortune. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Whereas like you look at the you look in the NHL and it's like every single person's like, yeah, my dad made like $113,000 a year and we were able to try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spend all of it on my <laughs> yeah. hockey equipment. Like- <laughs> that definitely makes it more interesting. I, I was definitely intrigued initially by the personalities more than the sport mm-hmm. because there was that disparity between the different guys they seem so different i think we have a lack of personality honestly compared to i, I know you haven't watched f1 for a long time but like i think the drivers are largely uninteresting and a bit like they don't say much they're they're nowadays. more interesting off the track and then what you can project onto them than what they're actually doing right like i think drivers have a lot of like Fans have a persona in their mind of like X or Y person, kind of regardless of how true it actually is. Yeah, totally. And I think that's just because we want them to be more interesting. There's a handful of guys who purely just based on like what they'll say are like kind of out there. And then I do think there's a few that just like are at least into stuff off track that make them more interesting. Like, I I think one of the most accurate personas that has been like uh, kind of like given to the driver that who has actually lived up to it is Yuki Tsunoda because yeah. he's just a oh cute God, dude yeah. doing cute shit. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> yeah. just he's like uh, results irrelevant to this point. Like he's just happy to be there, but he hates when it goes wrong. Like he's like I'm very excited to be here, but God, I hope nothing goes badly. He's just a cute. Again. He's just a cute kid throwing a tantrum. Dude, constantly. I cannot <laughs> wait for like baby Alphatari 
We got the we found the two smallest boys we could find. <laughs> we're going to put them in these cars. Like and also like it's the same vibe out of Nick Nick DeVries. He's got like hearts all over his helmet. Just a real like his, a, his his dad is Max Verstappen. <laughs> basically. Like, um I also think um what's funny is like it's funny seeing like the accurate personas that have been defined on drivers and the ones that are just bullshit. What would you say like Connor, like watching, so you've seen all the, like the dramatization in the first yeah. four seasons of Drive to Survive. When you started watching this sport and like seeing the media avails afterwards and the behind the scenes stuff that the teams create and put on YouTube, who was the guy that you thought was like most misrepresented in Drive to Survive? The biggest thing, because I, uh, and I, another thing that, that I did right when I finished the show, I decided what team I was going to support. Yeah. Like no matter what the, like what, what happened, that was going to be my team. And I picked McLaren. I know, I know, as, I know. As every single person. I know, obviously. And also, as obviously. everything fell apart. I know. <laughs> and I was really expecting that, because they were playing up the Norris and Ricardo drama so much. So it was dumb. so The stupid. answer is Lando was the most misrepresented. I know, I think Lando so. Lando didn't even care about what Dana was doing. Never yeah. mind actively want to sewer his career. Yeah. I know, like, I, I think that's my answer. Yeah, it was Lando. Like, yeah, that was, every time they showed McLaren, it was like, Fucking real housewives of Atlanta. I yeah. just, the reason they had to do that was because Ricardo was a protagonist so early in other seasons. They, yeah, that you're he right. was so central that they needed a foil yeah. for him because it was like the foil was like changing teams and some like issues with the team principal there, and yeah. then like with Cyril and whatever. And then it's like, well, in the first season of McLaren, like him and Lando just kind of got along and like the results were okay but not great, but like there was no tension. Yeah. So they're like, we need to. And do something, but with especially this. with Ricardo, as you could see, like where his career was going, the reality was far less glamorous, right? And to just say that the guy has lost it and probably will never be an F one again, like isn't that's isn't, not good television? Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's got to be like his young hotshot fucked over his whole yeah, career. Yeah, exactly. And 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 every clip we put of Lando is him speaking with completely zero emotion. Yeah, it's like I'm going to end him. Like it's <laughs> just like and it's just that's not. I I, I also think people. Speaking of projecting, I think people were projecting the Carlos Lando dynamic onto the Daniel Lando dynamic, which just aren't the right. same thing. Like, yeah. So people were weird about that. I'm guilty of that sometimes because I do think that like some of the fun of it is just like being like, "Ah, eh, it's the two guys. There they are. There they go." Like, do you Connor, want that? Yeah. Do you have like a favorite? I know you crushed it, and like you might it might all be a blur to a you bit, yeah but like is there any was there any scenes i have a scene in my mind that is my favorite drive to survive scene of all time and it's not it ha- can't be anything that happened on the track because that's just like watching f1 i have i have one in my head i wonder if you do you you tell me yours i'll think of okay one. when <laughs> the behind the scenes of um alpha towery trying to get Yuki Sonoda to take his fitness seriously <laughs> and That's moving him to, to Italy yeah. so he could so he would actually have to go meet his trainer like once a day and go for a fucking jog was like mwah. <laughs> it's it's funny cuz that's exactly when I started thinking of one I remember him being in his apartment saying he has to poop wasn't <laughs> yeah. that a clip oh, and like yeah. Liam Lawson's helping him yeah, pack yeah, and Liam he's Lawson. like okay we got to go time to go to Italy like yeah. Yeah, I just think that's it. That is one of the very few because I I think that what the 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 reason why Drive to Survive was so successful is because like not a lot of just regular sports fans knew the in and outs of F one, so it was just it it was simply just new to people. Yeah, you got to look but, behind a curtain essentially. Where whereas like what's going to happen with I believe um, Full Swing, which is the PGA Tour documentary oh, yeah. on Netflix, is is that everyone kind of like knows 
about golf and they think that golfers are really boring. So their preconceived notion about it is going to be completely thrown out the window by how like weird how charming some of these guys are and how much of a fucking asshole some guys can be a crazy but with with people had a preconceived notion about f1 it was all about learning about f1 so and on on top of that the guys aren't that interesting so the whole the the whole like the reason why it was so so successful is just because no one had any clue what they were about to watch yeah right so like and you could also like Sorry, but you could also no, like it's all good. blank slate. Like you're like, oh, I like this guy's vibe, yeah. so like I'm just gonna go with this guy. Yeah, and like having the flexibility to just go like, uh, you. Yeah, and then be like, now I'm invested because I'm just like I'm meeting this person and doing this thing. Like I think that that's how you get like people who went through the whole process of like Drive to Survive. You could pick any team, and like you could bandwagon it super easily. But yeah. go like, I'm a big Alfa Romeo guy now. Like that's oh, how you Kimmy you know, almost got me when I was watching. Yeah, Dr. or it's like <laughs> yo fuck Kimmy. Or the Kimmy hate squad. I love Kimmy. Okay, all right, back him up here. No more questions. I give love. It, give it. Yeah, give it. Give us your. Give us your. Uh, your like defense of Kimmy right oh, now. Oh, dude, when he wears uh, sunglasses and he's mean, he doesn't say anything important or like do anything. That's awesome, dude. The idea, I got nothing. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but I, he's I, just funny. I get why people like it. I just don't. He's, I think he sucks. Yeah, yeah. he's the Ice Man. He's a Bad person. He's an asshole. <laughs> he, awesome. His wife's hot. He doesn't treat his peers well. Um, that's awesome. I like that. Um, but uh, yeah, you got it. I do also think that it is good that one of the effects that it had was that. I mean, a lot of people went for McLaren and stuff. If people were picking like team allegiances, but I do think it's cool that getting that window was like people could literally go. That guy broke a door. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheer for Haas. Oh yeah, yeah like yeah. and it's just mm-hmm. like like I think Haas being so central has been fascinating just because it's like a bunch of people now love a team that sucks. Yeah, yeah, and they, it's like they were I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I think that you could probably make an argument that Haas's livelihood has been propped up by that documentary, and there's a really good chance that we have nine teams right now if it wasn't for Netflix. A hundred percent, because and like between Netflix and uh, the the group that bought out Williams either of those things don't happen yeah right and like cause like uh, Netflix also propped up Williams because people loved George yeah. people loved Claire and people like wanted that to work cause you got like I don't want to say sob story it's a little unfair but but you got the like scrappy like we need to figure this out you have narrative. to have that in a sport like F1 yeah like it, it when you're just watching the broadcast yeah. it becomes like a sob story for yeah. the for the the smaller teams when you can make them into being these like these Davids yeah and like hey who knows what'll happen next year right Dude. then you actually create a, like not only much a better understanding of like the entire um like top to bottom of F one but on top of that too like you actually help them out a bit by you know getting more fans getting more yeah. sponsors and just like putting context to yeah. to well, like it- to to like teams that just their in their entire identity is like how fucking can we like scrape like 15 or 16th with some sort of moral victory yeah, here like can we be stoked about winning nothing yeah um i but even on a similar token i also think that's what makes like the pierre comeback arc so good is that a lot of people literally watched a guy on netflix lose his job right, right. and then like oh we won what like everybody was like what the fuck how did he do that and then people want to be like 
well, I need to go see how we did that. And then you might want to watch a little bit more and like actually get in there a bit. So it helps that they can do it with the teams, but also individually having the... Also, they're being handed a fucking gift with the potential that they will have from the Lewis Hamilton comeback arc if it happens. Netflix servers will shut down from people trying to watch that if that happens. They'd probably just boot it anyways, though. Anyway, so this has been the preview to our uh, Drive to Survive yeah. Season 5 Anyway, oh what's, show what's your second weeks? question? Yeah, right, let's get back to the... <laughs> um, question two. No, that wasn't... We've answered one question. Because no. then we started talking about Lance, and then we started talking... Oh my God. All right, I'll take this one. I have 45... No, no. <laughs> um, I've got 1,800 questions. What is the difference between a team CEO and a team principal? And what responsibilities do they have? Because a strategist is somebody else. Yeah, okay. So what are they actually doing? <laughs> all right. We can talk about those all are three. all radically yeah. different things. We can okay. talk about all three. So let's start from the like the least important. Well, no, I guess uh, let's go from the, just like the 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 lowest. Um, uh, 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 what would you like con- the contract value? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, strategist. Probably m- more important than team principal and CEO when it comes to like like just simply like performance in the races, like getting the most out of your driver. So uh, there's a lot of people that have their hands on what exactly the driver does in the race with regards to pit stops and with regards to like pushing on certain laps. Um, It's ultimately obviously up to the guy with the steering wheel in his hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the team principal has a lot of input too. I think what what a strategist does is lays out every possible scenario and gives their expert opinion as to what they should do next. And then the team principal and the driver, um, and sometimes the engineer as well, who talks to the driver on the radio kind of have like more of a final say, I'd say that the strategist is more of like a, like a consultant than cause it's always up like last call, last call goes to one, the driver two, I'd say maybe like the engineer and the uh, race prince engineer. and principal yeah. combined, right? Yeah, okay. The strategy is yeah. like overarching, like we could do this and this yeah. will work because and, of it. And here's what I think you should do. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm not driving the fucking car and I'm not the guy that's telling the guy driving the car what to do. Like when they say we're going to plan D, yeah. he created plan D. Yeah. Or, or she. Red Bull or has she? A, sure. a female strategist. Finally, yeah, cool. F1 fans have to respect a woman. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, um, everybody. <laughs> so team principal is... I I mean I don't GM basically yeah like but, effectively but you know what but also coach yeah you know a little bit mm-hmm. but like well <laughs> it's kind sort of, of it's like, like general manager and coach combined I'd say because well I think, think some let's, let's, I think some of them just lean more into one or the other because like I would say maybe I'm being a little misled here because some of them are just more like media forward than others yeah but I would say like, I don't get I never got the impression that before like Andreas Seidel left McLaren right that like I didn't get coach vibes yeah. I got GM vibes I think you can get a lot more coach vibes out of Toto Wolf and Christian Horner I think they have their hands on the drivers a lot more than people think and they're talking to the race engineer. Um, and sometimes directly th- to the driver a lot more. Like Toto Wolf, the amount of times that he's had to go on radio and say, Lewis, don't give up. You can still win this race, <laughs> right? Like he's they're, they're a lot more hands-on. Um, they're, they're, their responsibilities go all the way from managing like the people back at the uh, manufacturing 
uh, what is it? And sorry, the factory. Yeah, fuck me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back at the factory, like literally, like talking to everyone that is one building the car. The rear um, wing designing guy. Ev- everywhere from like building the car to logistics to communications to the media. Like they they have obviously like Christian Horner would have more of his hand on the people that are building the car. But he like talks to everyone. And then on top of that too, he I, in my opinion, he does like, you know, put the whistle in his in his mouth and the, the coach's hat on. Uh, when it's time to actually race and like he he's basically overseeing everything whereas like i would say the ceo has a much more of a a desk job right it's the it's 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 literally executive like it's c-suite it's very like company oriented it's less it's less directly about i think the team directly than it is like it's more of like how do we get the the team money yeah how do we like where are we going with this like what is our goal that makes sense i don't i don't know how many ceos have ever like it, I, not ever, because it'd probably be mo- much more hands-on, like, uh, a long time ago. But let's say, like, in the past, like, in modern-day F1, I don't know if there's ever been a CEO to help make a decision in a race. Like, in the middle of the race. Yeah, they don't I have don't their think, hands on anything. I don't think Zach does that. It's, it's, it's so much more of, like, corner office um, with a nice view. Yeah, so <laughs> unless you're Zach Check, Brown. Checks and balances. Who just yeah. likes exactly. being there. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> yeah. like, that, yeah. that's kind of my, where my confusion comes from because Zach Brown, yeah, I think, he, I think he got the, promoted. The, the biggest confusion with McLaren is that people didn't realize that Zach Brown was not team principal. That's the only reason mm-hmm. I think people were confused is because he's on camera so much that he, and then like Toto and Christian, whoever are too, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's McLaren's them. Yeah. And then Andreas is just like, they're doing his job yeah whatever so i think that's the thing that got people the most because then you see him get pr- uh over to alfa romeo but as ceo and then people go what exactly but exactly like, he's just getting a different job there zach just really likes to see the cars up close yeah zach yeah. and zach loves like driving an old an old car around if they yeah. give him the chance good great question i like that question, that is a good it's, question. It's, it's confusing very confusing okay Question but that three. makes perfect sense. Question yeah. three. Uh, uh, to, what is a car? Yeah. <laughs> to dumbasses like you, it's confusing. Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let, let, let me switch categories here. What's the red and white thing on the side of the track? A newspaper. The curb. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <what's, laughs> I got you. Ah, thank you, Connor. <laughs> okay. Uh, penalties and confusion. Because I got a couple of these. Penalties and oh, confusion. Oh, no. We, we might not be able to help with this. That's the race the, game. The, race the stewards, stewards are, don't even know That's the, the thing. I, I feel like I'm confused, yeah, the but so this, is everybody else. The answer to this question is the stewards are inconsistent. Okay. So okay. What, what, what is your question, though? Uh, well, I've got a couple more general ones, but... Penalties. Just to... Just, no, like four penalties. I got a couple general ones. Okay. Like... Uh, Sorry, this, <laughs> one of these this is I, yours. One of these I literally wrote... I never understand what penalties do or what causes them, which is fine. But the problem is, I don't know. It seems like no one else seems to know. You're just right. Okay. So, yeah. in, 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 a, in a general sense, there is a written version of the rules about things like track limits and where the line of the track is. And if you go past that, what the penalty is. Like, if you do track limits too many times in a race, for the sake of this argument, because I don't know what the actual amount is, let's say you get a five-second penalty. It's th- you can go three. Three times over and yeah. then a five-second penalty. The problem is that in this example, let's say, oh, for this weekend, we're in Monza, and the edge of the track is the white line. So if your tires go, all four of them go yeah. over the white line before the curve, you are over track limits. But the problem is at another track, they might say, if you go completely over the curb, which is not the white line. Mm-hmm. That's like the grass. 
then they're like, now you've gone over track limits. Or they're like, you can do the white line in turn seven, but in turn eight, it's the curb. And in turn 10, if you leave the tarmac at all, we're going to shoot you with a gun <laughs> to death. And, I, like, the and don't even with, touch the pit lane. Yeah, don't the even issue touch with it. that is that it is it was both an inconsistent definition of the rules and an inconsistent application of the rules. And that was also applying not to just track limits, but to things like how you can make a clean overtake and what is right. considered yeah. pushing someone off or not. Mm-hmm. I think a- another problem with, the, with especially like during the race and not necessarily like just qualifying because it's a lot easier to like look at, you have a lot more time, right? To look at track limits and qualifying because like a driver goes out, does um, an out lap, which no one cares about because it can't count for a fucking mm-hmm. time and then does a hot lap and then, does, a closeted lap at the does end. A, does a closeted <laughs> lap, and then waits in the garage for three minutes, right? So there's a lot. It's it's a lot easier to um, to pick apart that lap, look at it with within a microscope, right? The problem is in a race, there's like at any point you could be going over track limits, but people have pointed out that the stewards have kind of picked and choosed mm-hmm. when you're given your first warning, like when when that you've gone right. over the line the first time, right? Because then after that, they've been pretty consistent with like, okay, we know where to look and whatever. But like the problem has been, when do we start telling drivers that they've been going over the line too much? And they tried to make it a lot more black and white, literally, this year um, by saying, you know what? We're going to like the 99% of the time, it's going to be the white line. There's been, there were a couple exceptions, but like we're, we're really going to stay to just the racing line and that's it. But then when it came to like actually put the hammer down, especially like for drivers that were racing for the win, it kind of became a little bit more gray area as to when they began warning them yeah. that you're about to get a penalty. You, you would know? get flexibility that if you were at the front, you would be afforded flexibility that you would not have been if you were at the back, which seemed counterintuitive because yeah. either we're racing under a set of rules or we're not. So it's like, why are the people like, why might the guy who will now win was able to pass from second because he bent a rule that somebody who was trying to pass for 10th and get a point could not do without getting a penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing on this, yep. the biggest problem I think we've ever had with track limits was Bahrain in 2021. The first time that Max and Lewis were going head to head in that like championship. Three and, four. and the problem was the way that they set out the rules was ridiculous but the, actually, they followed them properly. So they said that I don't know. It was a turn five or turn six. So it was after the second long straight, where there's four that five. It's four and five. Okay, so turns four and five come after the second long straight in Bahrain. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. It's the okay. So okay, just really quick. So you have like so the lap starts, and then you have a chicane. So one and two, and then you do the straight. The hairpin is three, and then there's four and five like an S, and then there's a six at the end. That is what the track starts like. So we're talking about the part that does this. Got you. Yeah. What? Yeah. Bar- they, in Bahrain. You call it a chicane? Well, Bahrain goes straight. Yeah, well, it's starting. Hairpin, hairpin. Well, like, whatever. Basically. It's, that, I guess the first one's definitely a hairpin. Well, The yeah, second one, you yeah. You get what I meant. Okay. Like, <laughs> no, now I know where you are. I thought you were like. I was at the start track. of the lap. Anyway. Where the race starts. So, like, after the second straight, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's a turn with a gigantic, like, the width is huge, right? There's, like, a lot of potential runoff area, so you can take a, a lot of speed into it. Now, they said that you are, if you're not racing anyone, if it's just you, you can go outside the white line there to, 
to keep extra speed. But if you're passing in that turn and you complete the overtake off outside the racing line, mm-hmm. then it does not count. And, to and be clear, Lewis Hamilton. This is them introducing needless gray area. Absolutely. Like. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. I, I don't know what the count was at the end, but before Max had tried to overtake him at the end of the race, with like, like five or six laps to go, he had gone over that white line in turns four and five 30 times. Like, like maybe, I think it was like over 30 times. And then Max comes around and tries to overtake him there and like goes like a few inches over the white line. And fair enough, like that was the rule. And then he has to give the position back, right? But people are like, well, why the fuck... Is the white line the rule sometimes? Yeah, like if you're alone, right? you can break the white line and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Somebody, that's like, why? It's kind of like if a if a if a driver uh, crosses the white line in the woods, but no one's around to yeah, see yeah. it. Yeah, well, basically, <laughs> that's because, a good. Yes, well, it because, is. Like, and then and then you have to give like the benefit of the doubt to any driver that was using that as their line through the race because it's like you got used to doing that. Yeah. So then one other person, they're not going to suddenly go like, oh yeah, I can't. I got to do calculations to change my racing line because I can't go over the white line because I can smell that Max is within like however many feet of me. And it's like nobody, nobody's doing that. So the biggest issue with the rules is that they're not well defined or well enforced regardless of definition. Got. I did kind of pick up on that throughout the season. Yeah. Yeah. 45 minutes in, let's get to our third third question. question. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Continuing with penalties. What type of penalty would make a car start from the pit lane and which one would make them start from the back of the grid? Interesting. Okay. Uh, back of the grid is like parts penalties, right? So if you have to take, um, so uh, teams have a certain allotment for, yeah. for especially for engine parts, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. You have it for gearboxes as well. And uh, if you replace like the entire engine, you're taking like, I'm exaggerating here, but like a hundred grid place penalty. So you just start from the back, right? Okay. But if you're replacing like one part from the engine and you've already used the allot- the certain allotment for that part, it's like a five place grid penalty. I think the difference, and you can correct me, I don't know if you're like, if you're able to look this up or whatever, but I think the difference between like starting from the pit lane and the back of the grid is what happens in qualifying with regards to whether or not like, there were procedures that were not followed. And then also, I think when there are procedures not followed, but right before the race, um, when they're on the grid getting ready, like uh, when the tires are, 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 are mounted, um, whether or not, you know, they have to, whether or not they're ready to start on time. So I think it's like procedures in qualifying, you can get penalties that put you in the pit lane because you have not like qualified properly to start on the grid, right? Yeah, because I did notice that, and this might be completely wrong, but it felt like the the pit lane penalties where they'd have to start from the pit lane, those were a bit more, like, not spontaneous, but they'd just be like, and now they're starting from the pit lane. I, I But I think it's more of, like, have you literally qualified properly to start the race? Yeah, so part of it is just based on, like, if you don't set a qualifying time, if you can't set a qualifying time, yeah. or if in between qualifying and the race... You have to make some of the changes we've been describing. Yeah. The more of it you have to do then because the car's already in Park Ferme, you're more likely to potentially be sent to the pit lane. Like if you've already qualified and then you have to change your setup or you have to change your turbocharger yeah. or something, then you may get a pit lane start because... Think about... I think this is the easy, the, the most clear way I can, I can present it. Think of like qualifying as like the literal definition for qualifying to, to like be... To have the right to start the race on the grid. Right. Got it. If, okay. If you don't follow the rules 
of like setting a time, like Corey said, yeah. or changing your car in park. Yeah, if your transmission it. blows yeah. or something. Or like there are there are certain procedures in qualifying that can get you like disqualified from that, and then you are literally not allowed. You do not have the right to start the race as the other On qualified the cars have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so my follow-up there. Very good question. That was well, a really good one. Thank you, thank you. I, my my follow-up <laughs> is how much worse is starting ah. in the pit lane than it is from starting in the back of the grid? You want to take this one? Um, yeah, I would say the the biggest thing that you have to consider, I think, for this is that uh, depending on where the end of the pit lane is, sometimes you might be like, it seems like he's further up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was else. thinking, right? I think, but, I think typically they, they do start ahead of all of the other drivers. Yeah, the difference to this, though, is that is two things. One, uh, the biggest of them is that uh, you cannot go over a certain speed in the pit lane. So everybody else can start, and they're heading up towards toward down a straight toward a turn that flows very well. And in some cases, if you're in the pit lane, you're starting, and you can go like 60, and then you hit a line, and then you can go, but you're probably partway through a turn with how a lot of them are laid out. Only a few that I can think of that are like perfectly straight when you're coming out are like Imola, where it's like you would hit the line and then just go straight out of it. But like even then, you have to start going slowly. You hit a line, and then you can go. But everybody else can just go. So I, I think also I'd say the the biggest disadvantage though is that you don't start when the lights go out. There's someone really? who okay. actually literally has a button that when everyone's past the pit lane entry, then you're allowed to go. Oh wow! So that's why you'll see if someone starts from the pit lane. They're, they don't catch up to the end of the, the queue, right the end of the pack, by the first lap of the race, unless you're like a top, like if you're a Mercedes or Red Bull, right? It, it, takes, it actually takes a while to catch up to the last or second last place car. Because it's, like, it's not like lights out for everyone. You the pit lane's completely different. haven't done a formation lap. So you haven't yep. wiped your tires. Yep. I got a question about that. Like, totally. you're just not perfor- like the car's yeah. performance is going to have to ramp up slower. Yeah. So what's what? How bad is it? It's real bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, also if 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 you were given the choice, and like, do you want to start at the back of the grid or the pit lane? Back of the grid. Got it. Back okay. Okay. Hundred percent. Um. One more on penalties and stuff. Uh, this is not really penalties. I don't. Know. This is more of the general confusion area. Um, you know or me? Was this me now or? I, uh, I ended. I I tagged on to your question. It's mine now. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I bitch. <laughs> <laughs> a couple times in the, the last season, there the races had to be because they were delayed for whatever reason. They ended up being timed. Oh man, this is the perfect one for me. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not just like what goes into that decision, but what's your opinion on it? I fucking hate. Yeah, it. Yeah, so do I. I hate it so much. It's stupid. Um, there. <laughs> There, I think there's a lot that goes into that decision and why we have that rule. One, the amount of like money and logistics and uh, like to, to set up an F1 race, especially on a street track too, like a street course where they're like they legally cannot stay there for, for longer than like their contract. Like Miami, they've got to like drive on those streets. Like, yeah. Like the next People are going day. to work. Monaco. People will be driving on those streets the next day, right? Mm-hmm. Baku especially. Um, so it, it it has to do with, the, I, I think, a little bit of their contract. Um, but I think mostly it's what they believe um, to be like the right call for entertainment. They, tr- they, t- they talk a little bit about like driver safety. Um, you know, we, we don't want the, the guys in the cars for too long. But I think overall, especially nowadays with how like, well-conditioned guys are and how safe everything is. 
um, I think it's much more of like a broadcast issue. I think that's that, what it seems like to yeah. me. Yeah. Which like, I don't know a single F1 fan that would rather the race end with fewer laps than it's supposed to that's, yeah. than wait half an hour for the track to either be safe or uh, like with regards to like conditions or like clearing a massive crash. Like I don't mind waiting half an hour more. Man, to get like, good racing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like NFL football doesn't even come on for another four hours, you know? <laughs> Anyways, I don't I don't know. My, I mean, my opinion on it is it's horrible and it seems second rate. The only uh, caveat I would give to that overall is that there is, in some circumstances, going to be an issue where you just cannot see anymore. So the timing oh, for issue. Sure. Yeah, the yeah. only condition-based timing issue that I can understand is like, it literally got too late. This track doesn't have lights. Yeah. yeah. Like, or they don't have sufficient lights because certain tracks like... Um, even in the spa example, it's like they yeah. race a lot of cars that just have headlights. So they're not going to have floodlights along the entire like six kilometers of the runtime just because like, why would you do that? Yeah. So what, what was it Um, where the, the race was delayed so long? It was Monaco or something like that? Japan. Because of the rain. Well, it was Mon- rain. You're right. So Monaco, what you mean? Well, two seasons ago, spa. I'm thinking last was, season. So spa. this this most recent season? Yeah, yeah. Monaco, there were multiple races that finished under time. Ja- Monaco was one of them. Japan was one of them. And J- Yeah, and Japan was the other. I'm pretty sure it was only two. But Monaco, it was, if you remember, they started, they could have started the race and it would have been safe, right? But they were anticipating there being a shit ton of rain in 15 minutes. Um, so, so the problem like- was they waited for all that to happen where, and we missed, like people would have started on dry tires, and then a shit ton of rain would have come, and the the scramble in the pits would have been crazy. We would yeah, have had yeah. one of the the wildest starts to an F one race, absolutely in Monaco ever. Um, and they they bitched out on that, and then the track got really fucking gross. And yeah, maybe they would have had to put a red flag out there at some point, but at least get the cars out there and see what happens first, right? It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like torrential rain at that point, so they waited for all that to happen. And then we got the fucking timed race in the end. So, yeah, it sucked for sure. I was very disappointed. I waited so long for that to start, that race. And then timed. I was like, oh, yeah. my God. And, dude, whenever you have, like, a rainy Monaco, it's like, please, like, let's just get this underway. Let's get like, please. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, th- this category, I did title Stupid Questions. Okay. Corey, you're up next. <laughs> why don't... And this is a genuine question. Why don't the bad teams copy the better teams more for their yeah. their their chassis and stuff so the boring short answer is there are rules that mean they can't yeah like the, like you like certain teams do have technical partnerships to an extent beyond just like engine suppliers where like you can get a little bit more but it's like the reason that there was the whole um the the pink mercedes issue yeah because they make a big deal out of is it. like they got, literally got investigated because they're like this looks too close like yeah. part of the expectation of the sport is that it's not just like an athletic thing it's a technical achievement so it's like you have to come with your own car and there is a finite number of parts you can use from someone else's manufacturing before it stops being yours and that's just not allowed i would say the fun answer is they actually do all the time yes because <laughs> the, fun, the just, fun answer is that doesn't stop them from trying yeah. is, it, is it just how much they can get away with basically absolutely okay yeah. love well, it okay think about that's, the fact that teams can show up and just be like well your side pods sure look completely different where did you get that idea yeah, yeah, like, yeah. uh your side pods are gone yeah um huh. <laughs> so Hass, you started with a more normal looking one and now you can sort of swim in those where'd you get that idea because like this season's equivalent would be the white Ferrari. Was people just saying Haas just showed up, right. saw what the Ferrari did, and then we just went, ah, we could do that. 
Yeah, like, yeah, but and and the only thing that stops them is like well, no, th- that didn't stop them. Yeah. Just if they had gone any further, got it. And even then, it's a very like loosely like the enforcement of it's a little. I will say uh, one in, one interesting part of this is when they do investigations, they don't just look at like two pictures and, and see if they're alike or not. They actually have a lot of um, like people that are purely like focused on regulations and rules in F1. I'd say like they're the stewards of factories. A bunch of nerds. They ha- they're they, like F1 is allowed to look at like 95 percent of your internal documents and like where you came up with this idea who had it first sometimes you'll actually it'll actually be good to have those documented if it actually is like an original idea because you can prove that no actually this was our idea before the mercedes did it or whatever but they like the investigation isn't necessarily looking at the similarities of the part it also is talking to the people that designed it um and getting like right into the the factory and, and how that 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 whole idea came about and would that be the fia I th- I think so, or like some sort of um, sub external body, FIA yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, I'm, I'm I think so. Okay, okay, that that, that makes sense though. Um, okay, what makes a track good, and will Vegas be good? Who's Follow is it? Up. Is it my, I think it's mine. Yeah, what makes it, what makes a track? Good? What makes a track good? Vibes, <laughs> <laughs> like straights, like pass, places of pass, like, mostly actually. So my I I whenever I have a conversation with like an F1 newbie about this, about like what tracks you like and what, whatever. Um, so you can have an opinion on any track and it can be totally true, right? Like Monaco, there's no overtaking, but I love Monaco Bye. because it's, it's the spectacle, right? Now what makes good racing sometimes can be, uh, I'd say it comes down to two things. So potential for calamity is one. And that's like why Baku has always been so good is because guys can crash at any fucking moment and that straight is crazy long. So sometimes you get, um, uh, you know, you get there's moments, you know, so you can there, like a lot of safety cars typically ends up helping a race because it bunches the pack back up. Strategy comes into play. So if there are, is potential for catastrophe, then that makes it uh, a, a potentially a good race. The other thing, and this is the more kind of, this is this is what you can bank on a lot more for in in uh, intriguing racing, and this is I, I will never forget. It was when F one went to Mugello, the only race that they've ever had there. Daniel Ricciardo, uh, when he was driving for Alpine, was asked, or was it Renault at that time? I think it was Renault. They were black and white, black and yellow. yellow. Yeah, it was Renault. Yeah, he was driving for, for Renault at that time, and he was asked why this circuit would be a great mainstay on the calendar. And he said that um, you don't necessarily need the longest straight ever. Magello's straight is like decent. You don't necessarily need the longest straight ever to just simply give a car a, car a slipstream to allow it to overtake. What's actually more important is the lead up to that straight. And he said that there were multiple turns leading up to the long straight in which you could take different exits and different entries. You could hit the apex yeah. or decide not to. Diversity of racing line. That's basically. interesting. Yeah, Abil- yeah. Ability to follow a car and take different lines to set up moves. Um, other things would be like Monaco is just simply, first of all, the straights aren't long enough, but also it's just too fucking tight, right? Like whereas Austin, um, one of the 
one of the reasons why there's continued good racing throughout sector three, um, which typically you wouldn't see because it would just be setting up like the long straight in sector one, is because there are so many different lines you can take through that final section that you're actually you're able to stay with the car behind and not be um, uh, not be like um, discombobulated by the uh, the air that's being thrown at you from other sides. You can get away from a car and still like chase after them easily. If that, I don't know if that's I, I know that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I I think that's part of it, and I also think that a certain element of it is just. There are there, especially with the cars that we have now. There wasn't always tracks that felt like they were well suited just purely to overtaking capacity. Where like part of it is what we're saying about like the diversity of racing line and your approach. But sometimes it's just like, can something happen here? And that's part of the issue with Monaco, where like you're saying it's just like, no. Yeah. But like sometimes a big benefit is is not just what approach can I take, but in how many different areas is an overtake feasible. Not necessarily well advised, or but it's like, could you do it here? And I think some tracks benefit from having the flexibility of having an unorthodox but usable overtaking location. Because I think sometimes you'll be like, you'll hear Brundle, not Brundle, Crofty do the, the track overview at the beginning and be like, this one's got two heavy braking zones. And you go, well, all the passing will happen in those. Yeah. But then... Uh, an underrated track for unorthodox overtaking spots was actually Russia, um, because yeah, like you had that whole huge long left left-hander. hander, yeah. like you could shuffle through that, and then there's a braking zone, and then another long turn, and it's like you actually had a lot of space to overtake. Where it's like the layout lacks in other ways, in that largely in like the infrastructure it was built around. Never mind yeah, the country, the political in. infrastructure, but um, <laughs> uh. You so what you're be, saying is you we could, should go back to Russia. Yes. No. Um, <laughs> what, but like you could be surprised by like the audacity of somebody to try something. Somewhere. Right. Right. Um, Whereas like if you get bold and brave in Monaco, nine times out of wall. ten, yeah, not gonna work out for you. I'm hanging up like a cow. I know that wasn't in Monaco, but there was that dude who. Got, yeah. Right. Abu Dhabi. That was Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah. That dude got flipped yeah. on the side of Monaco though, and was like just like the oh, car was me. up against the wall, so it's like they're like, how are we gonna get him out? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. But also, it's I do I think Vegas is going to be good? Yeah, follow up. Oh um, God, I I haven't even I haven't seen the layout. Okay, okay, I, I, I can like picture um, it in my mind, but I don't like know the nuances of each corner. No, my and honestly, my gut check is no, but good is relative. What I mean is they've built a layout in a place where the place is the spectacle part. You're trying to take what Monaco is foundationally. Like, it was an interesting... It's a very interesting layout that happens to also be spectacular. And they're being like, how do we create a spectacle that also might be interesting? Right. Like, they're kind of doing the inverse. And that leads me to believe that it's going to look incredible, but maybe not be the most incredible race. But I also haven't looked at it. So I could look at it and then go, actually, this looks like it's gas. And just like, I got a question for you, Connor. Yeah, hit me. What do you like better, street circuits or traditional oh. race circuits? Traditional race circuits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it just seems like... I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm with him. It's, I'm it's kind fun of a street circuit It's guy. fun to watch the street circuits. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's a lie. It's fun to like look at the street circuits, but I think it's more fun to watch when the track is like built for racing. Right. Like it seems like the drivers are more, I don't know, I guess locked in. Like, yeah. They're focused I think on the driving. They're more hesitant when there's walls definitely, everywhere. Definitely. Yeah. 
I don't know, but they're both cool. And definitely watching like Monaco. Singapore's sick, eh? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, there are cool ones. Yeah. Dude, Singapore is <laughs> Singapore's awesome. So sick. If they can make racing up just a little bit better there, it would be one the of the best, be- if not like just like top three. Yeah. Like, I also think um, that's something they need to consider with the issues that were with the Saudi Arabia layout initially, <laughs> which is just like, it's so bad. they're just trying to have their cake and eat it too, where yeah. it's like, we want it to have moments where it feels like a bespoke racing circuit, yeah. but we've manufactured an unfathomable street circuit level of danger. Yeah. And it's like, just choose which one you want to do. But even if it were like purely just like, I know they call it a street circuit, but if they leaned into that more, it's like, you got to what add like half a car width's worth of space just yeah. to not make me think they're all gonna die like the saudis were basically just like what if racing was more like beheading people <laughs> i'm sure never mind what if instead of journalists and gay people we killed racing drivers and then F1 look, would, look uh, Seb reti- that's a, that's Seb retired because he knew a target was gonna be <laughs> yeah. in his back Jeez. yeah i gotta i do have two more okay and they're bad they're really bad okay and this one might be the I think worst that was one. A good question for us. Oh, right. That's an interesting you question because it's subjective. We've we've like stretched this out perfectly. Good, good. That's what we're I like gonna to end hear. at like one ten, and we won't have to think about anything else to Great. talk about. What is the? This might be really bad. I'm I'm saying That's it again. Okay, you've had some pretty good questions. What is actually. the point of a formation lap? You're already in the right spots. I love that. I love that. Okay, so is me? Yeah, sure. Is it or whatever? Yeah, you can go. Okay. So, um, again, the the real answer is kind of boring. Um, but essentially it's not about making sure that you're actually in your grid spot. It's just, it's called a formation lap because at the end the grid forms up, but it is essentially like an opportunity to do a few things for the driver and the team, which is a, make sure the car is in the condition that you want it to be in when you're starting. So it's things like warming up the tires, getting all of your settings where you want them, making sure that you've got the right brake bias or whatever that you want for the start. And making sure that the setup still feels how you wanted it to. Because in a catastrophic scenario where like you get out there and you're like, oh, something broke, you can know that and not just start and be like, oh, like the clutch is gone mm-hmm. or something. Going into the first turn. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, uh, you're also checking conditions, seeing how the tires are feeling relative to what you anticipated as you're going around. Did this turn suddenly, like, did dust blow onto it? Does it feel a little slippery now? Like, you're just checking stuff. It's just a preliminary chance to go like, okay... Gents, we've all agreed to do this. Go make sure everything feels all right. Get back here and we'll start. I yeah yeah go for it. I got well I got I don't I don't know if this is your second question, but the reason also on top of that why they do all of the prep on the grid before the formation lap is because it's cool. It is also <laughs> yeah yeah that at a certain that's point that's just because it's cool it's vibes <laughs> that that's it it but is the cool the for- Corey's totally right the formation lap is all about it's actually like a, mostly about safety um, making sure that yeah you can warm your tires up and just check the car one last time uh, but it is one of the great things I love about F one is that like when the when everyone moves off to the side and they go to the to do the formation lap and everyone gets the fuck out of dodge everybody <laughs> like, I've been back to the fucking pits now that's the thing I've been like. Uh, duped i've been tricked yeah because i've been sitting down ready to go and then it's like oh my god oh, it's just the formation line. i don't Yo, mind imagine the, the amount of fucking dead bodies if they fucking started the race with th- like three thousand people just on the side of the track yeah well and then and then i'm also picturing like a formation lap i wonder if a situation is this, like this has ever happened in a race where they're like 
you get out there and somebody's like a, a branch fell onto the track <laughs> like we gotta get that off or something you, like you're going into lesmo one and two and Monza, there's a big fucking tree branch in the way from one of the trees or something like. on top of that too imagine if the race started with everyone on the side of the track because in the format the formation lap is like four and a half minutes long like it, it's long it's, it's Can you imagine leisurely. if you had a minute 20 to just get the f- – like get all your fucking gear, get all those trolleys back to the pit? <laughs> the first team – That would be crazy. Get the, the cameras on that, yeah. To create the infrastructure that just like they put the trolley on a pad and it sinks into the track so it's out of the way <laughs> would be like – everybody would be trying to copy that technology. The race engineer is also part of that team so he can't get on the, the fucking <laughs> – he can't get on the ringer to the, the driver to just tell him to slow down yeah. yet. Anyways, what's your last one? This one I is also dumb. I don't think these are dumb. No, no, sorry, 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 sorry. These have all been the, perfectly the, reasonable the last, questions. The, the last one I was just saying like, oh, I think this is stupid because I was rereading it. But this one I in my notes I wrote, really dumb one. <laughs> How did the... <laughs> this one I, I don't know. couldn't even say it. How do the other cars not get in the way during qualifying? They do get in the way. So, because <laughs> it seems like they never have any problems with it, but well, they're okay, all out so there. Have you ever seen what the race engineer has at his or her disposal? I know they have the thing which shows where all the cars are type deal. Yeah, they also have cameras everywhere. They also have spotters in certain places. Like, and if you, they have a timing screen, so yeah. you can literally be like, like you'll hear them on the radio sometimes, just be like. Like, they're five seconds behind you. And also, now it's like, they're on a hot lap. Now they're yeah. three seconds behind you. Prepare to get out of the way. They lane. also know I which see. cars are on a hot lap and which are warming their tires up and which are going back into the pits. Man, that's confusing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> they get it wrong. That's why they got to be good at the job, man. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah, but when they do get it wrong, it's hilarious because it's – well, first of all, it's dangerous. But also, like, I, I think people honestly get as mad – for like having one of their hot laps ruined in qualifying for like then when they get fucking bulldozed in a race. It yeah. almost seems like there's just like a certain level they, of anger. They feel angry about qualifying sometimes. They're just like, what the yeah. fuck, dude? And like, then also, okay, I got a question. You, you've heard Yuki's, um, Yuki's favorite, uh, uh, famous phrase, fucking traffic paradise out here, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, Corey, explain that. Oh, yeah. So um, on certain circuits you don't want to be first because part of an Qual- effect qualifying yeah yeah, yeah. but what i mean first, is you during qualifying first to put in like a time you don't want to be first in the queue of to cars to start a new lap because yeah. getting a toe is really important from the like getting in the slipstream is so crucial to getting a good lap time that everybody sort of like slowly inches up toward the final few turns and is waiting for somebody to decide to go but nobody wants to go first so everybody slows down and they pile up and they're trying to like Keep their tires warm and find a spot. And then what happens is if they do that for long enough, a car that is already on a lap will start yeah. approaching it. And then it's like there, there are guys going to be like, hey, there's 10 cars up in the last two <laughs> turns. Like you're going to have to try to figure that out. So then they either need to get out of the way or somebody just needs to go. But they're so selfishly trying to be like, if I'm third in this line, like I'm going to get a really great slipstream. So I'm going to wait. And then nobody oh God, goes. Man. It, yeah. it's, it's it's something that should have a rule better defined about it because it's fucking yeah. dangerous. Also, like, and this this is kind of like a minist like a min, uh, a minor factor, but as like the the more um, the the more cars that go around a circuit, the track evolves and gets stickier mm-hmm, and hotter yeah. and easier to drive on. So if you're at the back of the queue for the final like lap in qualifying. 
you're you're getting a little more traction than the guy who's at the front of the queue. It's ideal conditions. So yeah. the longer you can put those kinds of things off, potentially the better it will go, yeah. assuming you if don't you, bin it. If you ever hear track evolution... The, uh, Croft, evolution? Yeah, fuck. Crofty's just talking about the track becoming more grippier. That's, yeah. that's literally it. Calling a ray, yeah. track evolution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that makes sense. That's yeah. a pretty good note to end on. <laughs> sure. <laughs>